All right, so we are going to continue our study through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter to the Thessalonians. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and this will be part one of two um, of this chapter. Uh, there's quite a bit to go through, and, uh, and yet what we want to do is we want to bring across the, the main thought of this chapter. Um, there, there's a lot that perhaps we can get lost in within this chapter, but what I want to do this morning is, is bring to the surface that which is, um, you know, Paul's thought in writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. So let's start out by reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to read the chapter through. It's just 17 verses. So starting in verse 1, the apostle Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Heavenly Father, we simply ask that you would help us to be established in you. That we would be comforted as we are. That we would not be moved by anything that is not of you. And we would stand fast in that which we come to know to be true. May we not be easily shaken in mind. And furthermore, allowing that to alarm us. I pray, Father, that we would be uh, a people who know peace in Christ. A people who are steadfast and solid 
on the truth of your word with full knowledge. And so it is with that thought, Lord, that we come to you asking that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that you, by your spirit, would give us understanding of your word, that we may apply it to our lives and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. D.L. Moody once said, quote, There are three kinds of faith in Christ. One, struggling faith, like a man in deep water desperately swimming. Number two, a clinging faith, like a man hanging to the side of a boat. And thirdly, a resting faith, like a man safely within the boat and able to reach out with a hand to help someone else get in, close quote. The Christian faith takes a person from struggling to clinging to resting. You know, as I thought about this quote and I thought about my own walk with the Lord, my own life and growing and understanding who he is and what he desires for me in my own life and coming to a greater faith in his promises, I found that looking back, I resemble this statement. You know, the part of just struggling the, before Christ and before coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, struggling and then clinging, at times just clinging, like on the side of the boat. And, but then at one point, finding great rest in him as I found myself in that boat with the Lord. And come what may, I found rest in him. Knowing that in Christ I have his peace in all circumstances because of my faith in him. We learn how to cling and struggle well. With full confidence that what we know is true and solid. We can stand on it. It will stand and we can stand on that truth. It will not sink and we will never sink with him. Knowing this to be true, this is why the Apostle Paul was amazed at the Christians in Galatia. As we, we just glance at that letter to the Galatians. Why it was that they were being swayed by a false gospel so soon after he had taught them the one true gospel. It's kind of like with that thought that we approach this letter. Uh, with, with the Apostle Paul being amazed. Uh, amazed at how for the Galatians they could be swayed so easily from that which they have come to believe and confess and declare to the world that they believe. And now the Thessalonians, of course, his main concern was that they would turn from that, that they would be fooled. Galatians 1, 6 and 7 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are those that that is their main aim. Whether they disclose it or not. Or admit to it or not. There are some in fact. I have found that there are many. Whose aim is to trouble you. And to distort the gospel of Christ. In fact anyone. Who is not. Willing to humble themselves before the righteousness of God according to his word is actually opposed and distorts the very gospel of Christ. What is the purpose of standing firm and holding on to the one true gospel is the, the question that we ought to ask. And the answer to this is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, verse 14. Please look at this verse with me. It says here, To this he called you through our gospel, 
so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, this is what the Apostle Paul, this is what God desires of us, that, that we would stand firm holding on to the one true gospel so that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his, that's his desire. This morning we come to a section of Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians that addresses the issue of the Christians having been shaken in mind and confused because of false teaching as their state of mind was made known to Paul. And of course, he addressed that concern. He addressed that issue in what we just read. They were encouraged to stand firm and to hold on to the word that they were taught by the Apostle Paul and not be swayed by any other word that came to them, any false teaching that came their way, that they would have their hearts comforted and established in every good work and word. You see, that which we give ourselves to glorifies God if we are standing on sound doctrine. Because if we do it with anything, any other intention, anything else behind that work and that word, it's a house that's built on sand. It's, it's going to crumble. It's meaningless. It's vain. It's empty. I was thinking about this chapter and I was thinking, would this apply to us? You know, sometimes, you know, the, the Lord may bring that to your mind. Because let me ask you this. Are you shaken or alarmed by the thought of us being in the middle of the tribulation or the thought that the rapture has already taken place? Think about that. I have not heard that. I, haven't heard, I have not heard that concern within the church. Have you? So concerned that perhaps God, Jesus, has already come back, that the rapture has already taken place. Why is it? I think it's because we are in full knowledge that, uh, of what it's going to look like. That there's going to be no doubt whatsoever when he comes back for his church. What it's going to be like. The, you know, the, the hear, the, the, I mean, the sound, the cry of an archangel. The trumpets sounding. I mean, every eye will know, every, every, every eye will see, every ear will hear. <laughs> there's going to be no doubt whatsoever, right? I don't think many people are shaken or alarmed. But I stand amazed at the lack of understanding of God's word among his people that leads to a lot of misery, a lot of bitterness, a lot of despondency, a lot of pride, a lot of resentment, a lot of unforgiveness, and an utter lack of real trust and faith in the word of God demonstrated by the way issues and situations are handled. God's desire, you see, is the same no matter what is shaking you or alarming you. We are called to stand firm and hold on to the word of God you've been taught that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with that thought that, you know, I, I had that question uh, for me as I was looking at this chapter and, and, I, and I studied, I was telling my wife, I, 
I went over this in the study of this chapter probably more than I have. I, I can't remember the last time I, I studied so much. I mean, I, I've been going over this for the last at least two weeks, at least just going over and, and studying it. And, I, and it, perhaps the Lord put that question in my mind. Is that what the church is really concerned about? And I would have to honestly say no. But there is evidence of the church being shaken in mind and leading to being alarmed for other reasons. And I just listed a few things of how it is that I have observed the church being shaken. And so it's with that thought that we come to this. And as we come to know what we have here, the content of this chapter, we ought to keep in mind, do we know the content of the Bible? And does, is the content of the Bible in our hearts? Do we live it out? That's really the important question as we look at this as a whole. It should be evident. So let's see how the word of God instructed the Thessalonians how to do this very thing. How it is that they were called to stand firm and hold on to the word of God that they had been taught already. And how to apply it to our own lives, to our benefit and the glory of God. So three, three things, too, that we're going to look at this morning. But three things overall that we're going to look at between today and next Sunday. Number one, don't let yourself be fooled. Number two, know the truth. And number three, as we're going to look at next week, stand firm and hold on to the word of God. It's with those three things that the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians and exhorts them with. So let's take a look at the first section. Don't let yourself be fooled. Verse one, again, says now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to the, together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, we learn from chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, what Paul's one desire for the Thessalonians is. He writes to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may Fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord, our Lord, Jesus, may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as much as we'd like to make this chapter only about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is not Paul's main and only concern. That's why we have to look at it in context. Paul is addressing a bigger issue. The Christians that should know better, being deceived, whether it be the issue of the rapture of Jesus' second coming or anything else concerning God and his word. And that's why I share with you a bigger picture. You know, we can, we can sit here and we can debate. Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Amillennial, premillennial, we, we can discuss all those things. But if we ourselves aren't simply expressing a faith in the whole of God's word by the way we live our lives, then we're missing the whole point. 
we can seem all intellectual and have no evidence of God's grace and love and mercy and see the evidence of his salvation in our lives. We're missing the point. We're missing it, and we shouldn't. And so Paul's concern here is it's much bigger. The Christians that should know better being, dece- uh, you know, being deceived, whether it be the issue of the rapture and Jesus' second coming or anything else concerning God and his word, everything. Paul addressed this issue briefly and said in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I love the Apostle Paul. He's very straightforward, isn't he? I I mean, I, I love it. It's like he doesn't hold anything back. Now, I mean, there are so many people like, God, God, I like to hold a little bit back. Paul holds nothing back. You don't remember? I told you about these things. I taught you these things. What's wrong with you? You're being easily shaken now. You're being quickly shaken and, and you're being alarmed even. Come on. Wake up, right? I think that's what the church needs to do. Is we need to we need to show that peace that surpasses all understanding. That when we are faced with these difficult circumstances in our lives, that we show this tenacity, that we show this resolve to bring glory to God and continue and not quit. Oh man, I I too many people quit. Too many people quit. We, we just announced as far as the children's ministry is concerned. Well, I, I can go into that quite a bit. But what gets you tired? What gets you overwhelmed? What demonstrates that, you know what, simply you understand there's a greater work before us. And I give myself to it. Are we truly those living sacrifices unto the Lord? It'll demonstrate... It'll be demonstrated in our lives when we stand solidly in the Lord and continue on with our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. And the Apostle Paul was addressing, you know, hey, listen, I've taught you these things. From verse 1, we see how Paul is addressing a subject. He has already taught the Thessalonians. And our problem is that we don't have recorded what Paul had already taught them. But what we have here is clear and can be put together for us. We can, you know, piece it together. There are two separate events being addressed here. Number one, when Jesus comes for his church, and, and that's addressed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and when Jesus comes with his church to judge. And you can, if you're jotting down notes, jot down Revelation chapter 19. Apparently, the Christians in Thessalonica had been told by someone else that they may have missed the rapture and a period of time that is referred to as the day of the Lord, that the Old Testament refers to a time when God's judgment comes and his people are delivered. And so it was, it was known by all. Uh, a reference to the day of the Lord was very common. It was, it was something that was well known by all. So that was their concern. This is what Paul was addressing This period of time is described as a great tribulation, and the disciples knew it as the day of the Lord described in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 31, by Jesus. And Paul was asking them not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. These first two verses, don't don't be easily uh, or quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Can, Can I ask you that, please? 
can you not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed? Yeah, this is this is a personal application. This is a direct um, uh, word to to us by the Lord. By anything that seems to be from us, but is not. Paul's concern was that the believers would become disoriented or confused with false teaching, which we see happen with false teaching today. And that this would then lead to an alarmed state, that is, that they would be frightened and disturbed. Have you ever come across a believer who's frightened and, and are deeply disturbed because they are so wrapped up in signs and wonders of the things that are happening around us? You know, they, and they seem disoriented and confused. It's like they, they, uh, they, they're not standing solidly on basically the word of God and that alone. I have. And it's concerning to me that that's what they look to. Jesus' word will not cause an alarm state, you see, but rather peace. That's what will be evident in the heart of the believer who stands on the truth of God's word. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in the midst of our tribulation, Jesus said, you in me will know peace. You'll know that peace that surpasses all understanding. You will be unmoved. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Stand fast. Stand firm. Be confident and remain unmoved. You are in Christ and Christ is in you and he is able to keep you until the day you come into his glory. He's able to do that. Just remember that he is faithful and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So, the, the first thing. You know, hey, listen, don't let any false prophecy, any extra biblical writing, no matter what it is. A, a blog, a comment in social media, a newspaper clip, anything. Even, I, I have to, and, I, and I, you guys know, I put this out all the time. As far as commentaries are concerned, I don't care how much you love the person who's writing that commentary. It is a man writing that commentary. Always go back to the very word of God. Sometimes there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, remarks that go uh, far beyond what really should be jotted down as it pertains to certain verses in scripture. So take heart, stand, stand fast, stand firm, be confident, remain unmoved. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Don't let any false prophecy, extra biblical writing or false lecture shake you up. Nothing on YouTube either. There's a lot on YouTube, a lot of opinions. Careful, always go back to the word of God. So number one, don't let yourself be fooled. Number two, know the truth. And so he lays out the truth. Verses 3 through 12. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness 
is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Know the truth. Uh, the best way to not be fooled is by knowing the truth, the genuine. When someone knows the truth and is confident in it, he will not be moved or disturbed or confused when they hear a false word from anywhere else. Um, I, I love to hear when this church in particular, Refuge, because I am responsible for you, hear something that is off, and then it's part of a discussion like, did, did you hear what, we, not, hopefully not from here, <laughs> but, but elsewhere, right? And, and it's kind of like, hey, you know, I, I don't think that's right. And, and it's brought up in a discussion, and it's, and, and it's talked about. I think, right on. That's awesome. Because that means that a, as a church, we're maturing, coming to know the Word of God, can interpret it correctly, and when we hear something false, we're not taken by it. And, and that, that is my goal here, is to make you disciples of the Lord is for you to know the word of God to point you to Jesus and know how to follow him. Verses 3 and 4 gives us this succinct list of what will happen before the day of the Lord comes. This is what he was going over. The Apostle Paul was going over with the believers in Thessalonica. Number one, the rebellion comes first. And that's why he was encouraging them. Remember, remember what I taught you? Remember what I taught you? Hey, listen, you may be, you know, at this point uh, shaken. You shouldn't be. It shouldn't lead to being disturbed or confused. None of this. Why? Because uh, let, me, let me share something with you. Number one, the rebellion comes first. This is the great apostasy. The falling away from Christ. This is both those who once followed Christ and a general rebellion of the world against Christ. Oh, we see some of that happening now. Let's go to 1 Timothy. So hold your place there in 2 Thessalonians and let's go towards the back of the Bible to 1 Timothy. Just probably a couple pages over. 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Also in um, 2 Timothy, this is just evidence of of, of what uh, will precede the day of the Lord and or be uh, a part of it. Second Timothy chapter three. Verses one through five. But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And then in the next chapter, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're rapidly going into just a, a darker period of, of these very things. Just look around you. So the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, listen, this has not come to its fullness. Okay. So he's telling him, because you have not seen this, then the day of the Lord has not yet come. But there's, some, there's another part to this. Secondly, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The, the Antichrist is what we see. This man will rise to the utmost earthly prominence. Described as a man of lawlessness and destruction who claims to be God and demands to be worshipped and takes his seat in the temple of God, fulfilling the prophecy of the abomination of desolation. That Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And Jesus was referring to the prophecy of Daniel. Basically by his word, he's declaring it to be true. And the Apostle Paul was saying, these two things must take place, and they had not. Therefore, the day of the Lord had not come. Know these things. This is, by the way... A literal temple and a literal positioning of a literal man of lawlessness in the Holy of Holies, declaring himself as God above all. It's interesting because in my studies, guess who it was that said that this was perhaps um, a reference to um, the people, uh, the world as a whole? John Calvin. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Remember, I'm telling you that that men who write these commentaries, scholars, you know, they're the experts in theology and doctrine. You know, they too can come across with things and come out with things that, no, that's that's wrong. If if you don't take this literally, then we're missing it. This is a man who sits in a, a, who's a real man, who sits in a real temple and declares himself to be God and not, An overall spirit of lawlessness is what he was referring to. Which we already see. We saw that from the beginning of time. From the fall of man, right? Uh, A spirit of lawlessness. It's called sin. But this man of lawlessness will sit in the Holy of Holies declaring himself as God above all. And therefore, performing the ultimate blasphemy against God, described as the abomination of desolation, and that will bring judgment. 
This was spoken by Daniel and Jesus. Daniel in 927, Daniel 927, 1131, and chapter 12, verse 11. Jesus referring to this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, and then again in verse 21. Again, this is just for our understanding. The church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul was saying, I've taught you these things. Remember them. Don't be quickly shaken or alarmed. Because that's what verse 5 tells him. Recall, recall, remember these things. And then verses 6 through 12 are details about the revealing of the man of lawlessness and the wicked who will be deceived and are condemned because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. Now, sometimes I, I, I hear in discussions, you know, that the Holy Spirit will, will be removed. Will be re- no, he will not be removed. He'll be put off. To, he, will be st- he, he will stand aside. He will simply get out of the way. That's it. He is the restrainer. He will withdraw his restraint, similar to what is described in Romans chapter 1, of those who insist on rejecting God's truth and are given over to a debased mind. This is ultimately what they desire. You want that? You know, it's not of withholding. At some point, the Lord will say, if that's what you want, that's what you will be given to. And that's a dangerous place to be. The Bible speaks of a seared conscience. Um, have any of you ever been burned? Yeah, and yeah, unfortunately, we've suffered through, through a burning. What happens when that scar tissue comes up? Can you feel on that scar tissue, that, that skin that's been seared? You can't. It's just numb. You can't feel it. it a seared conscience is like that section of, your, uh, of that skin. You, you can't feel it. You no longer respond to it. And, and so the Bible speaks of being in danger of coming to the point of rejecting God so much that your conscience becomes seared. It's incapable of responding to the Lord. And, and the Lord says in Romans chapter 1, you insist on these things, you're given over to it. And so as the restrainer withdraws himself, he will no longer restrain him, but give him over to what they desire the most. But please note that this happens in God's timing. But the Antichrist will be killed by a sim- simple word of God. He'll, he'll be brought to nothing because he is of no significant power before God. The, the Lord simply with his spoken word, he, that's enough. God is God. Satan is not his equal or, or his opposite. He is a created being and he is no match. Jesus with a simple word. You are dead. Boom. Down. That's it. Game's over. One other thing to note here is that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Meaning that evil is already at work in the world today. And that it will only increase as the revelation of the Antichrist draws nearer. And ultimately the world will be given over to an unrestrained evil looking like the days of Noah 
that I've referenced in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. You see that. The revealing of the lawless one is brought by the activity of Satan, as we read, read here, and you'll see it with power, false signs, and wonders. This is why I personally get concerned by brothers and sisters who are constantly referring to signs and wonders. And Jesus, Jesus addresses a people who are looking for these signs and wonders. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then in, in chapter 16, in verse 1, again, it says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the, the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. This is Jesus addressing those who go after signs and wonders. You see, one can be easily deceived if this is what is being pursued and searched out. Instead of simply looking, in, looking to the word of God and, and being at rest in Christ, being at peace, allowing him to provide peace and confidence. Jesus, you see, is the Prince of Peace in whom the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is known. Deception, on the other hand, brings confusion, uh, brings a disturbance, and it is wicked, and it will come to those who reject Jesus, who refuse to love the truth, and in that truth, refuse to come to know salvation ultimately. And so Paul continues the description of what will happen in that day, that God will give them over to what they desire. As I've stated earlier, to be overcome by a strong delusion, and they will believe the false, the lie, and be given to the condemnation they remain in. Uh, this is, uh, we see this even today. This, it, it seems like a strong delusion, but just wait till the strong delusion, till the, uh, the, the restrainer is moved out of the way, and there is a strong delusion. I mean, even the elect will be fooled. The believers will come to be deceived. Not all, but there will be some that fall away from the faith. The world, I mean, I don't know. To me, the world looks like it's gone crazy already. It's like there's no reasoning. There's, there's like this, this, this weird uh, atmosphere in, uh, and it, it has nothing to do with the ozone layer. It's just this weird atmosphere. <laughs> no, there's just like this covering that is just, I don't know, it's being withdrawn. It's just odd. And it's just wickedness. And it's evil. 
and we're going to see more and more of it as the day of the Lord approaches. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, it, it speaks of coming together in fellowship and doing so even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching. This is why, by the way, it's not a time to withdraw and, and just revert to, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and worship at home, and I don't need to go to church, and I don't need to gather with the saints. No, no, no. That's actually anti-biblical. We as Christians needed come together in fellowship and be encouraged and stirred up to love and good works, even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching. We need to be encouraged. We need to stand solid in the Lord. We need to grow together. We need to be there for each other, even more so. The days are getting darker. And with that, though, the light shines brighter in darkness. And that's the hope that we have in Christ. For us, we can share that hope with other people and see more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, these people who are going to be given over to the strong delusion because they basically rejected God's grace and salvation in Jesus Christ, these people are depraved and they take pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, we would consider this as, as sick, and it, but it's just plain evil. They will insist on rejecting God as being God and instead insist that people are actually gods and are worthy to be worshipped. That's happening today. Oh my goodness. There's, there are so many people that exalt themselves and exalt each other, you know, put each other on a pedestal. It's called idolatry. And this will lead to their ultimate judgment and their being cast into the lake of fire. And this is what the Apostle Paul was reminding the Christians in Thessalonica about. This will happen, but, but it hasn't happened. Is what he was telling them. So don't be shaken in mind. Don't be alarmed. These things, these things haven't, they haven't taken place. Oh, we will know. But this time, stand on the truth of God's word. Next week, we're going to learn how it was that the Apostle Paul encouraged them and exhorted them to stand firm and hold on to the Word of God. The, the final portion, we're going to go through a little bit more of this chapter and then go into that. That's a very important element of this chapter in, in the conclusion of this portion. The body of this letter is found from chapter 2 all the way through uh, the final part in chapter 3. And so we're just getting into the body of this, this letter of the Apostle Paul. So don't be shaken. Don't be shaken. Stand firm and hold on. I'll leave you with this. Because this is what the Apostle Paul was concerned with for us. Don't be shaken in mind or alarmed by the thought of us being in the middle of the tribulation or the thought that the rapture has already taken place. I already said that this is, this is probably not our concern. We already know, right? So for us, let us not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by the things that we're faced with, remembering God's promises and His truth that we can stand on and be confident and have peace. The promises of God are certain. They are filled with hope. Remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as his people, we should exhibit such faith. 
it should grow as, as, we, as we exercise a little bit of faith and we see God's faithfulness. It, it should bring us greater confidence, shouldn't it? More confidence, oh, a little bit more. And then, and then as, we, as we exercise our faith in, in the little bit more faith that, that we have in the fullness of God's word, then our faith grows a little bit more to the point to where we have this humble confidence in the Lord and we remain unshaken. Come what may, come what may, we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and we encourage others by that faith. God's desire is the same. No matter what is shaking you or alarming you, stand firm and hold on to the word of God. You've been taught that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Ephesians 2, 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the reminder that your word itself, Lord, you hold above your name. Lord, how much should we look to your word for the answer to everything? How it is that we can stand confidently on the word and know and therefore walk in a way that we are not confused or disoriented, that we are not alarmed, we're not fooled by anything else, but that we would, by your word, stand in a great, humble confidence, leaning and clinging to you the author and perfecter of our faith. You are faithful to finish the work that you've begun in each and every one of us. Let us hold fast to that. May we be refreshed by your spirit, come to a greater understanding of your word, and live it out in our lives to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.